I read an amazing story the other day in uh, USA Today. For those that may not know what that is, that's a newspaper. Um, they used to have those. Um, now it's an app. Uh, and so I read this story in the app, not in the paper that makes your fingers turn black. But uh, USA Today was talking about something that you may be familiar with. It's the idea of the American dream. The American dream is something that, that it used to be talked about a lot. It's still talked about in some circles. But the American dream is this belief that hard work and freedom to pursue your destiny you can achieve success and better opportunities for your kids. It's the idea that, you know, maybe you have a house and you have a car or two and you have a couple of kids and you're successful in what you're doing. You're saving money. You're helping to pay for your kid's college fund. And um, you're doing all the right things. But here's what USA Today did. They had some, some authors and some folks that were trying to analyze what does it actually cost to attain the American dream. And so they did some statistic analysis here, and, and what they came up with is that to really achieve the American dream, which historian John Adams said is the greatest contribution that we Americans have made to thought and welfare of the whole entire world. The American dream, it gave hope to the entire world that you could achieve something and be something. We have people that have flooded our country trying to, you know, kind of attain the American dream. But you know what it costs to really get the American dream now? $130,000 a year which only one in eight households in the United States make $130,000 a year. Maybe some of you are a part of those one in eight. Maybe some of you are a part of the seven in eight households that do not make $130,000 a year. But they analyzed that it would take $130,000 a year to achieve the American dream. And here's how they broke it down. They broke it down that home ownership is central to the American dream. And so they took the median price of a new home in the United States, which is $275,000. That's the median price of a, of a new home in the United States. And they, they put, hey, you put 10% down on that house, which would be about $27,000. And you, you amortized a 30-year note with 4% interest or so. And so each year, you are spending approximately $17,000 on your house. These new houses these days have more bathrooms than occupants on average. Think about that. More bathrooms than occupants in the house. My house does not because we have 1,100 people living there. Um, I'm just kidding. We have four kids. It just seems like 1,100 sometimes, especially if we added a dog. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Hang with me. The U.S. Department of Agriculture figured that the average family of four, of which we are not, spends $12,659 on a moderately costing grocery plan. So $17,000 on housing, $12,000 on groceries. AAA estimates that it would cost $11,000 a year to own one four-wheel drive sport utility vehicle. The average amount borrowed for a car in 2013 was $27,000. That's the average in 2013. The uh, medical index pegged that annual health insurance premiums and out-of-pocket medical expenses was approximately $9,100. Now, some of you... You would love it if it was as cheap as $9,100, but that's the average in the United States right now. They estimated a lot of things about summer vacation and clothings and utilities and cable and internet and all those kind of things. State, federal, and local taxes were pegged at about 30% of the household's income level, and, and the educational expenses for two children in present realities is about $4,000 a year. College savings, all of which they estimated to be pre-taxed, were about $2,500 per year per child. 
And finally, they estimated that those who really had the American dream, which says they're not just living for today, but they're also living for tomorrow, would take the maximum retirement withholdings that they possibly could. So for a person under the age of 50, that would be about $17,500, which is slightly less than 15% of the annual income of that household, which is what most financial advisors would recommend, which brings us to a total of $130,357 to attain, to have the American dream. Here's the problem. The median income in the United States is 51000 You have to have 130000 to attain the American dream. The median household income is 51000 If you add in one more child or maybe one more vehicle or two more kids, you can easily see where to do this the way that they're saying you're supposed to do it or you could do it. It could be in excess of $150,000 a year, which is about three times the annual household income in the middle of the road for Americans. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because today we're continuing our series, Contagious Generosity, and one of the things that fights against us being generous is that we look around and we see what others have, and we see what others are getting to do, and we see where they're spending their money. And man, we're, we're so connected to people now. Like years ago, we didn't know that our friends were taking amazing vacations all the time. Now we see all their pictures on Facebook and Instagram. And so we're sitting at work, working hard, looking at Facebook, and we see that our friends, for the third time in three months, are sitting on the beach. Or they're at Disney. Who can afford Disney anymore? It's the most expensive mouse in America, right? And we see that they bought a new car, and he bought her a new ring. And we look at this and we go, what am I doing wrong? And so we start to compete with our... I got an amen right there, I think. What am I doing wrong? And we, we, we begin to compete against ourselves and to compete against the image that we see in others to try to keep up, to try to attain maybe not the American dream. If our friends are Bob and Sally, we're trying to create the... Bob and Sally dream that we want because we see what they have and what they get to do and what their kids have the opportunity to do. And it creates in us, if we are not careful, this incredible struggle. Because here's what they finally came down to after all that analysis in the article in USA Today. It is clear that though the American dream is still alive, fewer and fewer of us can afford to live it. Now, the, the American dream wasn't really based on the idea of having to make $130,000 a year. The American dream was based on what I said up front, that if you work hard, if you just do your best, you try to accomplish good things, you, just, you try to provide the best life you can for your kids, man, the opportunities are there in front of you. But what it turns into is us thinking that if we work a little bit harder, we can have more and more stuff if we'll do a few more things, if we'll work a little more overtime, if we'll, you know, maybe take out a loan over here that we can't really afford, maybe go into a little more debt over here that we can't really afford, we can provide some of those things for our kids now, and we'll pay it off whenever they leave the house. And some of you have told me, because I'm raising young kids, that my kids will never leave the house. I should have got an amen right there, because some of you are praying those prayers. But what happens is we, we get into this internal turmoil and struggle but what it actually breeds for us is this need to acquire, this need to accumulate. 
I ran across this quote. I've seen it in other, a lot of places, so I'm not sourcing it today. I'm not citing it today, but not because I'm trying to make you think that I'm smart and came up with it. I just don't know which of the four people it was attributed to that it actually came from, but this is what it says. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people who don't care. <laughs> we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people who don't care. And here's what that does for us. It breeds in us, it creates in us this illusion of the self-made man. That I am who I am because I work hard enough. We have what we have because I'm smart enough, savvy enough, good enough with money. And while all of those things are good things, you, you probably are smart and you probably are savvy and you probably are good with money. All of those things are good. None of those things are evil unless they all come together to form in our hearts this sense of pride that I have everything that I have because I'm good enough. And if I just work a little harder and if I'm just a little gooder, better that I'll get more good stuff, better stuff, larger house, better car. My kids will go to a better school. I'll get to help them pay for this so they don't have the $200,000 in student loan debt that's becoming the average for graduates of college. And I can provide more and more and more because I'm the one that's providing. The problem that we have is that's not what we're called to. Pastor Mark did an incredible job last week setting us up with this idea that generosity is not something that we initiate. It's not something we came up with. It's not something we created, but it's actually a response that we have in response to the generosity that God has already extended to us. We sang about it. We just prayed about it. That God has graced us, given mercy to us, extended to us far more than we deserve. And in response to that, we are called to be generous. Sometimes God asks us to do very challenging things. And today, if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke is uh, obviously one of the Gospels. It's one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're going to read a, a story here. We're going to read several verses. It's one of my favorite stories, not because it's a really positive, uplifting story, but because of the, the narrative and how much it actually challenges me. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, this is what we read. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Listen to the boy's response. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. First little indication there may be a little pride there. Just throwing that out there. I would not answer that even if it was true. I'd be like, oh, those are good things. I need to work on those things. But that's just me. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. If you've got a pen, you could underline that. If you have an app, you could highlight that. We're going to come back to that in a second. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, the last portion of this, which we'll come back to in a second, seems a little different than what we were reading before because they asked him a pretty direct question, who then can be saved? And Jesus does what he always does. He answers in a way that creates more questions. Who, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jump back to verse 22. Verse 22 says this, 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, we're talking about, this story is most often described as the rich young ruler. Now, some translations give us that indication. Right here in this translation that I'm reading, it just said one day a ruler came. But this is somebody that had great wealth, and we know that, and Scripture even references that later. He walks away sad because he had much wealth. But it's interesting to me that the interaction that Jesus had with him also centers around words that indicate wealth or uh, substance or things that you would have resource. Because what did Jesus say after the young man said, yeah, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. I've actually, I've never done anything wrong. I've actually kept all the commandments you're talking about. And so Jesus then says, great, you still lack one thing. Somebody that's wealthy doesn't seem to lack a lot, right? What do you get for the guy that's got everything, right? And Jesus is confronting that by saying, that's great that you've kept all the commandments. Like, maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe Jesus in his sarcasm, I don't know if you see Jesus as a sarcastic guy, but I kind of do. Maybe that's just a reflection of who I am. But I see Jesus responding to him and going, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Way to go. Somebody give this guy a t-shirt. He's kept all the commandments. Um, You still lack one thing. There's just one thing that you lack. Like, you've got everything. You're a rich guy. You've got a lot of possessions. You've actually kept all the commandments. You're way ahead of the game here, and yet you don't have it all. You lack something. And then Jesus continues with that imagery when he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. So take all the possessions that you have and give those away. And listen, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So Jesus takes the same imagery, the same words, the same idea. And he says, listen, you who have everything, you lack one thing. And in order for you to get the one thing you lack, you actually have to give away everything else that you have. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It seems like in order for us to take or to make up for the thing that we lack, we should go and acquire something. And what Jesus says is in order for you to get the thing that you lack, you have to get rid of something. Now, Pastor Mark, he stole my material a little bit last week, okay? He's not here. And he told you last week he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm going to say this, and nobody tell him that I said this. He stole my line last week. Because I have always said, and there's at least three or four people in the room that could tell you this, I have always said that I believe in this story. If the rich young ruler sold all his possessions, gave it to the poor, and came back to Jesus and said, I'm back, I'm ready to follow you, I've sold everything I've got, and I'm here to follow you, I think Jesus would have handed him an envelope with his money in it. Because it's not about the money. It's never about the money. I don't think God is concerned one bit if your household makes 51000 or 130000 I don't think God is as concerned if you are taking maximum retirement deductions or no retirement deductions. I'm not talking about being unwise here. We'll get into that in a minute. But I don't believe that's what this was about, just like I don't believe it's about that when God's talking to you about your money. I think God's talking to you about your heart. I think he's talking to me about my heart. And I think Jesus was asking this young man some questions and challenging him a little bit about what it was that was the primary motivator of his heart. Because how did this interaction even start? The young ruler came to Jesus to find out how he could get into heaven. Now, I don't want to put impure motives on this young man. I don't want to say something that's not written here. But I'm just going to give you my opinion. It's almost like this young guy walks up to Jesus to find out what's the bare minimum to get in. When I read this, I see him trying to get a good deal. 
I see him trying to figure out how little can I give of me to get all of what you're saying I can have. Because he called him a good teacher, trying to butter him up a little bit possibly. Hey, good teacher, what do I got to get to inherit eternal life? Like, how do I get in the party up there? I mean, I've heard about it, and, and I want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't usually get left out. I usually get anything I want, and so I want to get in up there. How do I do that? And Jesus sets the bar pretty high. He says, well, I mean, you've heard it said, you know, keep all the commandments. Don't kill. Don't do the bad things that you're not supposed to do. At which point I think I'm going, wow, okay, I got some work to do. I'll be back. I'll come back. Let me, let me work on me a little bit. But he said, no, I've done all that. What else I got to do? And Jesus said, you just still lack one thing. Go and sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. And when you come back and follow me, you actually then will be storing up treasure in heaven. There's, a, there's an upside down nature to the gospel. There's a little bit to the gospel that says I got to have some faith in the unseen, the things that don't necessarily make sense all the time in my head, to follow the words of Jesus to say, okay, So if I lack something, instead of trying to acquire it, I actually have to get rid of stuff to gain it. Okay, I'm with you. I guess I can follow that, Jesus. I ran across this quote. It says, we celebrate generosity, but we envy accumulation. We celebrate generosity, but we envy accumulation. We celebrate it. We celebrate when people are generous. Like, we love to tell stories about how generous somebody was. But actually what we envy, what we desire, is people that are accumulating a lot of stuff. And we begin to imitate the people that are trying to accumulate a lot of stuff, rather than the people who are constantly being generous. And this is not just about our money. This is not just about our money. It's just easiest to talk about money because we know what it feels to talk about money and to think about money and to feel money. But the same is true of our time. What if we viewed time as a commodity? What if we viewed it as something very rare because it is? It's a finite resource. It's not unlimited for us. There's a beginning and an ending to our time. What if we viewed that time as currency? And we tried to be generous with our time by saying, I'm going to spend my time giving it away. We can't store up more time. There's nothing we can do to actually get more time. I mean, there's all kinds of self-help books. If you go to the bookstore right now where you can maximize your time, you can work smarter, not harder, so that you get more hours in a day. But guess what? You actually have the same number of hours in the day. You're just using them differently. What if we viewed our time that way? What if we were generous with our time? What if we were obedient with our time? Maybe that's where some of us need to start. God, what is it that you're calling me to do to spend my time on? What if it's our talent? What if it's the skills that you have? What are you good at? What are you naturally just good at? Like other people have to read these thick manuals. Well, nobody reads manuals. You have to go watch YouTube for hours to figure out how to do this task. And you're, you have to sit in the training seminar and you have to learn it. And, learn, and it's just, it's agony. You can't learn those skills. You can't practice enough to be able to do it. But man, you, it just comes naturally. You just picked it up. Nobody had to really explain it. You watched it like one time and you, you've got it. What is it that you have a skill in? What is it that you are good at? What might God be calling you to do with that skill, with that talent? How might you be generous with that? How might you leverage that for the sake of someone else? 
But see, it's just easy to talk about our money because Jesus talked a lot about our money. He talked a lot about the ways that we interact with money. And we, we even get to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, and we've heard this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 10. I'm kind of skipping around there a little bit, but this is what it says. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Everybody say that word, content. Say it again. Let us be content. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Just like I don't think that Jesus was actually talking about it being a sin, being rich, at the end of the first passage we read in Luke 18. He didn't say money is evil. He said the love of money brings all kinds of evil. The love of money. When the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, it says he walked away, he was very sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus looked at him, he says to him, and he he says it loud enough for the other people because then we see a response from others as that man is walking away. But he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they asked him, who, who then can be saved? And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What he's saying here is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. This is the one thing you can't buy. It's the one thing you can't earn is salvation. How difficult it is to get into the kingdom of God because what you would be saying is I'm not going to rely on my earthly gains, my earthly possessions to earn me into the kingdom, to buy my way into the kingdom. And so he says it's difficult because a lot of rich people, if you tie these two scriptures together, not all, but a lot of people that have great wealth, they view that wealth as one of their kind of prized possessions. It's not just that they have money. They have a lot of money. There's not a lot of things that they can't do because of the wealth that they've acquired. And in this letter here in 1 Timothy, we see that it's the love of money that is the root of evil. It, it brings all kinds of evil. Here, here's where I equate it, and I've referenced them a couple times. We've got four kids, nine, seven, five, and three. And in each of those kids, we had to teach them early on how to share Anybody ever had that experience? It's way too quiet in here. My kids would get something that I bought, and they would go, mine. It's mine. And then their brother would come up, maybe, or their sister would come up and say, oh, I want to play with that. I want to have that. And they go, no, it's mine. It's mine. And they would, they, would hold, they would pull it into themselves and hold it for themselves. I'm not sharing. It's mine. It's how a toddler behaves. I don't know that it's restricted to just toddlers. Because the way that we operate with our money is that we take it when someone else gives it to us. None of us created our own money. Maybe we worked for it. Maybe we worked hard. Maybe we invested in the right things. Maybe we, but we, it didn't, we didn't just create it out of nothing. Someone else gave it to us. And we wrap our arms around it and we say, it's mine. It's mine. I'm not going to share. I'm, not gonna, I, it, I'm just going to accumulate and pull in everything that I can to me. He says, listen, when you came into the world, you didn't have anything. And when you leave, you can't take anything with you. So you better evaluate your heart. Where our treasure is, there our heart is. 
The easiest way to evaluate our heart is to evaluate our treasure. What do we treasure most? What is it that we put our hope in in life? Now, here's what I want to be careful of today. I don't want you to think I'm preaching against you having stuff. You got a nice house? Awesome. You got nice cars? Awesome. Your kids have all the fancy newest? That's awesome. This is not me preaching against stuff. It's not me talking about that as if there's something evil or inherently wrong there. Money is an incredible tool. It's just a horrible master. This is about you and I responding in a different way in our interactions with God. The rich young ruler had been rich, for what we understand, longer than just the interaction he had with Jesus, probably his whole life. At least a number of years, the way society worked back then, you were kind of born into money and you had money. There, were, there weren't a lot of those self-made man illusions in that culture because everyone was kind of stacked into these class societies and these different systems. And so there wasn't a lot of upward mobility in society. You couldn't just work your way into a new tax bracket, usually. So we can assume that he had had money for a while, that he was wealthy for a while. But you know where we see the issue with his heart? When Jesus asks for his obedience. That's where you can always see mine. If you're honest, I think that's probably where you can see yours too. But it's not about wealth. It's not about lack of or having stuff. It's not about the jobs that you have, the things that you do. It's where does that stack up in the priorities of your life? I want you to think about this and try not to just put like Sunday school brain on and just go, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. Don't, don't do that, okay? I want you to actually think like a logical human being as if this is reality right now in this moment. I'm going to ask you a question. If I were Jesus Christ standing in front of you and I said to you, the only thing that you have to do, there's only one thing left for you to actually enter into the kingdom is to give everything away. Give it all away. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You will not immediately die after that. You will have to figure out how to live on earth after that moment. But I want you to sell everything that you have and come and follow me. What would you do? Some of you know what you would do. You just felt it. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think I can. You have so many questions about how you would make it after that moment that you're not really sure that you could answer yes because you don't have all the details worked out. Uh, okay, Jesus, I'm with you. Let me, let me ask a couple follow-up questions here. Um, how would we, what would I do for, well, Jesus just said, go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, come and follow me. If Jesus asked you to do that today, what would you say? Because here's, here's the reality for all of us in the room. Whether you think you're rich or not, you are. If you make $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. $34,000 a year. You're in the 1% that the news keeps talking about. You just didn't know it. You're rich. You're the guy standing in front of Jesus. 
What if he said, go and sell everything you got, give it away? I don't know that he's asking you to do that today. I'm not asking you to do that today. I don't think. I was preaching a couple months ago, and a guy quit his job the next day and blamed it on me. <laughs> I'm not asking you to go sell everything today unless the Holy Spirit's doing that for you. I'm saying, where's your heart? What is it that God is calling you to? Here's a, the last quote of the day. Gene Sherrod says this, What happens to you is not as important as what happens through you. What happens to you is not nearly as important as what happens through you. Instead of receiving money to pull it in and hold on to it as tightly as possible to say it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, what if you viewed money and what if you used that commodity of your time and what if you used the skills that God had graced you with as something that's not just to you, but something that you have opportunity to receive to give away. What if you viewed yourself not as the end of your talent, the end of your time, the end of those resources entrusted to you, but as an open conduit to allow those things to flow through you for the sake of others? What if you said, okay, God, I want to evaluate how I spend my time, and I want to try to give my time to some other things. Because mostly what I'm doing is I'm spending my time at work, and I'm coming home for a couple hours, and then I'm going to bed only to get up the next day and go right back to work. And I want to see if there's a way for me to spend my time a little better. I'm still going to go to work, but I want to figure out how to use those hours after work or those hours before work or those hours on the weekends possibly. How can I use those better? How can I spend those in a way that reflects the generosity that I've received from you so that I too can be generous? So the time's not something that's just been given to me. It's something that's given through me for the sake of someone else. God, maybe the skills that you've given to me, the things that I naturally do well, the things that I love to do that I'm passionate about, how can I use those things for the sake of others? And then we come back to money. God, what is it that I can do with what you've entrusted to me that actually benefits someone else beyond just me? Now, here's what I know. Based on the statistics that we've read today and based on just the surveys that have been done and what we understand about our culture, some of us can't be generous with money because we have no margin in our finances. Maybe that's just through a low income level right now. And they just, I mean, there, there are no fringe things. There are no extras. Retirement, <laughs> who saves for that right now? And vacations, and no, we just live through our Facebook friends. And no, I'm just, I got enough money to pay for the bills and the basics, just to keep the lights on and keep a roof over our head and just to provide a little bit of food. And so maybe that's a part of it for you right now. But maybe for some of us, it's not an income issue, it's an expense issue. We're just, man, we're loaded up. We're maxed out. We don't know how to create margin or space. We're starting something in just a couple weeks called Financial Peace University. Pastor Mark referenced it a little bit last week. It's one of our life group options this semester. It is about managing your money God's way. I encourage you, if you even remotely think that you could use some help in the areas of finance, 
to go out to the lobby today and to fill out that form and just sign up. That doesn't obligate you to anything yet, but it allows us to follow up with you and see if we can help connect you to this incredible resource taught by some of our elders here. I would love for you to jump into that just to help help evaluate what you're doing with your finances. And I think even beyond your finances, it would cause you to evaluate everything about the resources, the, the good stewardship that you're called to, that God has entrusted to you for the sake of other people. So I would encourage you today to go and sign up. Here's what I want you just to think about as we close. What would it take for you to be more generous? What would it take for you to be more generous? Because here, here's the thing. It, it won't take you getting more money. All more money does is reveal who you already are. What would it take for you to be more generous? Would it, would it take you changing the way you spend your time? Would it take you changing your focus, being a little lo- less self-focused and Maybe expand your view and look out towards others and see how might God be positioning you near other people for their sake? How might you be more generous with the skills that you have, the things that God's entrusted to you, the things that you're good at, that you're passionate about? How could you be more generous with those things? I don't have a great call today to prayer because I've got these four things that everybody needs to pray about because I believe for everybody in the room, it's something different. I mean, there might be categories and big blocks that a bunch of people fit into, but I believe as I've been praying through this and thinking through this, that this is a you and God moment. This is a you standing in front of Jesus and him challenging you about the one thing that he knows is in your heart. It's the hardest thing for you to say yes to. It's the hardest thing for you to give up. Maybe it's money, maybe it's time. Maybe it's a relationship that's just sucking you dry. You can't be more generous with your time because you've got this relationship over here that takes up all of your time. Maybe it's the job that you have and you need to start looking for another job. Maybe it's a a really bad uh, interaction that you have on your job. Maybe it's the way you spend money. Maybe it's an income level and there's, you need to start evaluating is there something I can do to fix that? And I don't know. It's something for you. What do I have to do to be more generous? What's my one thing? What what would Jesus standing before me ask me today? Go and do this. Go and get rid of your possessions. Go and get a new job. Go and give up that relationship. Go and do this thing. Quit spending money over here. Quit spending your time over here. What is it that Jesus could ask you to do and you would do the same thing the rich young ruler did? Walk away sad because you know you can't do that. Guess what? Today is the day you can change that. With the help of God, I believe he's calling you to evaluate your heart and say, what is it that I would have trouble saying yes to Jesus about? And here's Jeremy's opinion, based on a lot of scripture, I think, but here's my opinion. Whatever it is that you can't say yes to Jesus about, that's a sin. Because I believe that sin is anything that separates us from God. And if there's any part of your life that you can't say yes to Jesus about, it's a sin. And you need to beg of God for forgiveness. Repent of that sin and ask him to help you clear that away and create this clean space between you and him. Not of your own doing by just living better, but as a response to the grace that he extends to you, the forgiveness, the love, and mercy. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I'm asking you to pray on your own if you're comfortable. 
doesn't have to be really eloquent prayer. It doesn't have to be words that are fancy. It's just got to be you saying to God, you know, as he's talking today, I realize what's that one thing. I know what that one thing is. I know there's that thing that I can't get rid of. If you asked me right now to get rid of it, I couldn't say yes. I know it. So God, I, I need you to help me there. I need you to take that thing away. I need you to help me to make better decisions. But ultimately, I need you to help do the work in my life. Clear away the clutter Help me to be generous with my time and my energy and my talents and my skills and my money. Help me today, God, to be generous. If you've called me to be generous, there's this dilemma I'm in because there's some stuff that's blocking the way. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's just laziness. Maybe it's overdoing it, it's overscheduling, it's overpromising, it's not being able to say no, but always saying yes to everybody about everything and overextending myself. Right now, ask God to forgive you of sin. Ask God to help you to be more generous. God, I pray now for every person in this room, myself included, that you would help us to be generous. We believe you're calling us to that. We believe, God, that you want us to be a part of your story. You could do everything in the world that you needed to do without our help. And yet, as we heard last week, you love to involve us. When people need to be fed, you ask us what we have to help bless them. When people are looking for eternal life, you ask us to evaluate our own hearts and our own lives to be a part of that story. So, God, I pray today that you would help us to engage, to interject ourselves into the story in the ways that you called us to. I pray now for everything that we've been thinking about over the last few minutes that keep us from being generous. The sin issues, the misplaced priorities, the misplaced relationships, the time poorly spent, the money poorly spent. Help us, God, to evaluate that in light of who you are and what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.